Well, hello there, friends. No, you haven't traveled back in time to the 20s. In fact, it's me, Andrew with the bangs, and I just thought it would be the cat's pajamas to dress in character for the following interview. See, I spoke with Neil DeGrade, who is a singer, songwriter, performer, filmmaker. He wears many hats, and they're all artistic hats. And I had the pleasure of chatting with him about his latest work. It's called Queen of the Night. It is coming out in five parts, but it really is a movie when you put them all together. And the first installment is out now, and the second installment is coming out mid-January. It focuses, as the title would suggest, on the feminine as, I wouldn't say forgotten, but reclaiming the feminine in storytelling. I speak with him about this aspect because that's something that I've been really interested in is understanding what exactly, not necessarily a I'm, I am a woman, but like the feminine is its own separate thing. A, a man can have a part of femininity in the same way that a woman can have masculinity, but understanding what exactly it is to have the feminine present in a story in its strongest form. And again, seeing what strength means not through the sort of typical current storytelling of power with women protagonists. So it was very interesting, uh, really, there was a lot of things about this chat that I've been thinking about over the past while, and I am really curious to see what you guys think and would appreciate if you left me a comment, um, gave this a like, and would subscribe and all of that jazz because I need to remember to ask for such things because I'm a very bad YouTuber and forget to most of the time. Also, give me a give me a five-star review on Apple if you are listening to this in podcast form. And also, if you're listening to this in podcast form, you're missing this outfit that I'm wearing. So don't forget to go check that out in the YouTube video. I'm going on. So I'm going to let you guys get right to the video. Here's Neil. Rescuing something Rescuing. from the past. Rescue yeah, yeah. Rescue wisdom from the past. Okay, like, so that's, that's what you're doing. So yeah. that's what we're that's where that's the vein we're gonna go in. So so rescuing something from the past. So I feel like speaking of that with regards right. to the okay. feminine. So yeah. I'm like, haha, I'm taking over this interview now, sir. No. I love it. Okay, I'm <laughs> so ready. This is for the school. official start. Um okay. oh wait, Neil, thank you for coming on my show. I should say your name. Neil DeGrade, thank you for attending this interview oh, glad to be here i've watched a bunch of your videos and seen a bunch of your interviews and i've enjoyed the channel so that's so uh, cool. thank you, you know, so like, much i'm a fan getting to come yeah. on oh I mean. yay well that's that's <laughs> i never expect anyone to like watch any of my things so that's really nice of you to say but so yeah i i did one of the things i i so I, of course i watched i watched queen of the night which is what we're here to speak about and then i watched, watched it again with my husband hmm I didn't send you episode two, did I? No, You're... I didn't. I, I have only seen one. Yes. Okay. That's okay. It gives me something to sort of focus in on. Um, yeah, everybody else has seen, so I don't want to give away episode two yet anyway. So right. there's five episodes in all. Okay, 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 good. Yeah, so I'm very excited to see more. But so it has a very, speaking of vintage and how I, I enjoy vintage, like it is a very old feeling about it. So I, but I, I, before I forget, I want to say 
the things it reminded me of. And I just want to know if any of them, if you thought of any of them as you were doing it. Okay, okay. Okay, so yeah. so this will be a fun, a fun game. Okay, so when, I mean, obviously it's like silent films, so you can't help but think of, well, not necessarily Charlie Chaplin, because that's more of a, that's more comedy, depending on which bit you're looking at of him. But, you know, there's that obvious initial thing of it. Um, but but th when when your music starts playing after that sort of funeral dirge, there's the yep. music about the moon specifically. Yes. That reminded yes. me very much of the beginning of Moulin Rouge. Oh, funny. Yeah, yeah. I love. Well, I mean, we're, one of the weird things we noticed about our band is that there was a hundred percent overlap. If you liked Moulin Rouge, you were going to like our band. Okay. And okay. So this like you know when we started. And we that movie had come out around the same time, and we had this sort of like I wouldn't say steampunk, but it's like this post-Victorian, early Edwardian vibe yeah. to our band, and there was definitely theatrical elements. So, yeah, I mean, yes, sure. I didn't think of it specifically, but at the same right. time, I live in that universe. So. Right. Okay. Okay. So. Okay. So that. Well, they show the moon a lot in the film in right. in Miller Rouge. So, so mm -hmm. there's that, and then, and this is a very random one. Um, so with the uh the fairy gal i can't remember what, what was her name was she freya she no she no she doesn't have a name she freya have, okay so the fairy type gal yeah there so, are credits in episode one because it's actually a full film we've pulled apart yeah yeah release, or we released the full film um yeah there's actors names that appear that don't appear in the scene because oh, it's okay just, okay right so. yeah because it's like the prologue the opening so you're just yeah so so this gal like when you see her she is ghostly looking and um, and I sort of, even though she's not evil, but the vibe initially I got was a little bit Darby O'Gill and the Little People. I don't know if you've seen that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there is. I, you know, what's beautiful about sometimes in in fairy tales is that there are these characters that, or these figures that you approach them one way and they, they're ambiguous in the sense that you okay. approach them one way and, oh, you've approached them the wrong way and now it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Or you've approached them in the right way and now it's like, oh, this is totally, um, this is going to benefit, this is, I'm going to come away from this with a gift, uh -huh. right? So there's, uh, there's like a hospitality towards these sort of spirits mm. that, you know, you need to show or not show. Um, so that's really, yeah. So I, I get that feeling from that, her character. You're not really supposed to know what up because what's up because she's sort of, I guess I don't want to give too much away, but in the sense that she's a, like a stand in for this feminine mystery, which we see in the veiling and unveiling of the moon, because she's being mm -hmm. mysterious. She's concealing her identity. There's things she doesn't want the boy to see. That's not for him to see. Mm -hmm. And, and that's a very relatable experience in, in life that we all have, you know, things we keep behind the, the wall of our forehead mm -hmm. and we all have things we keep under our clothes. And so it's a relatable experience in just a general sense. But it's also there's there's something cosmically on a larger scale true about this, like the city you live in has its secrets that you can know and you can't know the your government has its secrets. The world has uh secrets and even the structures that exist within reality have things that are you know there's less we know about it than than we do know so right uh, yes yeah and, and that yes so the that bit about the feminine being sometimes veiled particularly so yeah. can you go into that a little bit regarding your vision like it's i mean queen queen of the night like that's the it, it's in the right. title like why did you decide to focus 
Um, and I, sorry, I started off with one question and now I'm going to switch to another one. But you, you can bring up the, the veiling and, and, and the sort of hiddenness yeah. of femininity. Well, we'll get around all of it. I know your style of talking. We're going to yeah. get around all of it eventually. Yes, or whatever eventually. you need to know, we're going to answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, ultimately, so so I do want it to be answered, the veiling and, and the unveiling, because that's very important in the in the feminine yeah. and understanding the feminine. But that can be, I might push that one to a little bit later. And I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sure you will answer it. But why did you focus on the feminine? Because I remember in the interview, you spoke with Pe Jonathan Peugeot about how you, about this particular, um, like it was promo for this, this piece that you're doing. You say that you have stories a daily in your head. So you had you had the yeah. pick to well, which one do I want to make? Like which one it do I actually want to do? Story now I felt like, um, and so my personal encounter with so what, here let me back up a little bit first. Uh, people can get really confused when you start talking about masculine and feminine symbolism because okay. they just see they think you're talking about masculine and feminine stereotypes. Yeah, um, and so that's not. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about patterns, and the patterns are based upon actual differences that are consistently different between men and women, right. not things that are just like sometimes, you know, most of the time a guy's stronger than a girl, but then, you know, sometimes there's a stronger girl. And so it's not about characteristics like that. It's about characteristics that, and, and it really kind of begins with if we're going to get into like middle school health class, like, you know, the reproductive differences. Right. Um, and, you know, reproductive differences, it's more explicit. It's uh, their parts are on their outside of the body. Um, right. No, no, literally. Yeah. Yeah. And then what women, women are behind closed doors and they knit this baby together in a, in a place right. you can't see. And they're this holder of this mystery, but also there's this powerful encounter with feminine you have with your mother's face, your mother feeding you, taking care of you like that, the power of the mother role where she can, she's kind of like your world for a while. Mm. And so like, she's like a, like you're in a microcosm of the universe, you interacting with this universe. That's your mother. And then also, like when I started to get interested in girls, the way a girl could just like stop, like I was this, I was smart, like outgoing and, and the right girl could just stop me in my tracks where I had no idea what to say or what was going on. There's some kind of encounter you have with the potentiality of like your future and your future children and all of this stuff comes into your head once as a guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was this feminine power to just, and it could be a distraction to, for me sometimes too, like through my high school years when I should be focusing on something else, like, you know, there was something that was too beautiful and too attractive for me to get my mind off of. So mm. there was this absolute power for the feminine to arrest my attention mm -hmm. and, and not have to do it with this a normal sense of force, like, you know, like, like a, a police force or a military can grab the attention of a nation or force a nation into something. But the feminine had this power in my life to arrest my attention just by being itself. It mm. didn't have to necessarily act. Um, and so that that's a powerful thing. And that's a thing. So when, when I, when we live in a world now where Hollywood is like trying to open up more and more roles for women and I'm like, mm -hmm. great, this is cool. There's so many great stories to tell. Um, you know, we've always had our princess stories. We always had the coming of age story for a girl. And there was generally a young girl like Dorothy or Wendy and Peter and Pan, um, yes, where the yeah. coming of age and potentiality or Pan's labyrinth is a really great modern version of that. Um, where they're like this girl who's around 12 years old, she's about to come of age and she has to figure out what, you know, how she's going to realize that potential in the world. And, and the young girl has always been a good stand in for that idea and a really mm -hmm. great avatar for that idea. So when I, when you hear that they're going to have more roles or for women, you think, 
oh my gosh, we're just we're gonna expand the variety of things we can talk about. And oh uh, man, we can really talk about this cosmic feminine power instead of just focusing on the masculine all the time. This is great. I'm not talking about roles in society with men and women. That's that's really boring to me. I think you know people can do what they're good at. Let them do it. Um, I don't really think about that too much. But when it comes to film, so what was so disappointing is that so much storytelling has gotten politicized. Like mm-hmm. as soon as you get a sense of that person's political slant, who's telling the story or the people involved, it's like the story becomes so predictable. I can, I can uh, so many times my wife and I've sat down to watch a movie and I've ruined the whole movie in the first five minutes because you caught the whiff of the political slant of the, of the storyteller mm-hmm. and the agenda of the people. And you know, exactly why, because the characters have to do what they're supposed to do according to the political storyline, not, yeah according to what happens in reality and to what would actually be most interesting. Mm -hmm. So um, I've been very disappointed to see that there's just been this idea to like, oh, uh, there used to be a male Thor. Now let's make a female Thor. And okay, what's female Thor like? Well, she's just like regular Thor, right? Like this idea is like, except she's in a girl's body because we want little girls to know they can be Thor too. Yeah. no, I'm like, we can all be Thor. Yay. I'm like, that's a public service announcement. That's not a story. Right. Um, yes. So, you know, so is it like, is there a feminine aspect of thunder? Maybe there's a way to write that story. That's interesting. Like mm-hmm. besides, mm-hmm. besides the, the way the universe is trying to, uh, these, these, like the Marvel universe and all these other universes are trying to just mix everything up and, and kind of remove categories. Mm. Uh, and what they don't realize is they're tying their hands to, uh, tell powerful and interesting stories when they do that. So, um, I mean, there's, there's lots of examples of these kind of things and what ends up happening when this is what happening in music too, is that because people are not uh, no longer able to like tap into these patterns of beauty that actually exist and, or Mm -hmm. beauty with a capital B, like a lot of stories are about how to find rescue or to participate with beauty, right. Mm -hmm. And into the future, like these stories are about that, but because, because they're losing that, like, so in music is that like a parallel example. It's like, you'll put on so much stuff and the lyrics are like, what people ask me about, they're like, oh, these lyrics are so crass. What do you make of that? And, you know, they see that as part of the falling part of the world, but I see it slightly differently. I say, I, it makes me sad because people don't, audiences don't have the attention span to tell a longer story that will grab their attention in a meaningful way. And that the artists themselves don't know how to get your attention. Like my, mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, in high school, I had a chorus teacher when he couldn't get our attention, he would just yell the word sex and we'd all shut up and look to see what he was about. Right. It was like a pretty creepy routine, but at the same time, work, it, it arrests your, it stops you in your track. So the problem is we have all like modern dancing is more animalistic or robotic. It's a reflection of technology or animality. And, mm. um, so people don't know how to dance together. Yeah. Anymore, yeah. They're not dance together at all. Yeah. Right. Um, and then there's, um, and there's this, uh, gee, uh, it's just this like, well, they want to go to say something that's going to get your attention, like my chorus teacher. And it's like, yeah, why this is sad for me isn't that those things won't get your attention or sad that people's attention are grabbed. Of course, their attention is going to be grabbed by these things. Like it, it takes discipline to 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 not be distracted by those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's sad is that they've lost the, they've lost like what where the real beauty and value is in life and how to engage these things in in a way that's more meaningful like mm-hmm. anybody can have sex and enjoy it but not like it takes something different to build intimacy and trust and it's way more rewarding to do so it's just you don't get to do it right away mm-hmm. so there's this falling apart that's happening so that's 
when this story came to me, because I had all these stories kind of just on my shelf, like mm-hmm. in my mind, uh, ready to go. It, this one came, it came to me in a flash and actually went and told it to Jonathan. I told this to my wife first, and I told it to Jonathan Peugeot, and he's like, yes, this is great. Good hierarchy, like, wife first and then Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, she got mad because I just told him a story first the other day that he ah! wants so um he was like how dare you yeah <laughs> i'm your muse and yeah. she's right um so oh, my, man like so that's it like so i was like i'm gonna i don't want to give away too much because i can't yeah. get too far into when we talk about the cosmic feminine but i'm going to discuss the cosmic feminine in it's in a frightening form in a powerful form in an enrapturing form like all of the extremes of it i want to have in this story okay. and well, it wasn't even like I wrote the story for that reason. I was wrestling with these ideas, and the story pops out of it. So the story yeah. is kind of like, like you're you're doing interviews because you have questions. Um, so for me, I think about something, and I don't get like this textbook answer. I get a story, and so mm. that's what I get. So and that's what I give back to the public. And if it's interesting and meaningful to me, I assume that there's going to be other people that find it interesting and meaningful too. Mm-hmm. So. Where do I want to go? Okay, so I think Maybe that. Much. Sorry. No, 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 it, no. It's it's it is. It, well, at least you you know how to, when to stop because you, you people. Paul Vanderclay said this the other day. He's like, oh, the thing about Bishop Barron is he knows when to stop. Mm. His answer. <laughs> anyway, so like you you found the the stopping place, and then it's like, oh, right, back to me. Um, yeah, you caught me on a good day. Then that's not every day. <laughs> well, okay, so the. And I'm just thinking about how I want to see the rest so badly now. I'm like, oh, the things you just described, I want to know. Well, because the, saw. The, okay, so the the feminine um, that I, so I, I have been. You mentioned this in your your message to me when we were talking about like you coming on the on my show, and like I have been interviewing people in the past about the feminine, and and then the way I found it is participating in it. Like I said, I've been knitting and sort of dressing in the like clothes of my mother and my grandmother not literally unfortunately they didn't really have clothes left and but I but you know the the styles from from those yeah. times and and so th- th- that's sort of been my way of grasping it along with talking with people but it, it didn't really seep in until I started participating in it. so so I do it seems like and I don't know if I'm it's just my experience so maybe I'm I'm a little off in it, but it seems hard to tell those feminine stories in a way that you can understand in the versus compared, like compared to say the hero's journey that just strikes to the depths of Luke Skywalker or Harry Potter or, yeah, you know, you know, yeah. those types of there, stories there is, or Frodo uh, or, and, and Sam and all the, yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So there is there is a problem people have had in the 20th century and into the 21st century when it comes to telling feminine stories is that the easiest way to do it is to almost make the feminine character a passive member mm-hmm. on like a witness to things. So this is something that really stands out when they flip it. So you'll see this flipped um, in stories now and people will flip it very consistently. Um, so a show like, well, I don't want to give away spoilers, but there's a show like Westworld I was watching where they, mm-hmm. where they kind of flip these things around as, as there's more, more political oh, pressure. Oh, poor to, Teddy. Or, Is that, I don't know if that's where you're going. Yeah, no, well, <laughs> anyway. so but you also have, um, 
you have like our main male character who was on Breaking Bad. He yeah. becomes the passive participant to be enamored by Dolores, the feminine robot. She's a robot, so she's really not a girl or guy. Yeah. But you know, she's a stand-in for that. Yeah. And uh, but pretty much like almost every show I watch now, there's like some girl doing heroic things and a guy just watching. Yeah. And what it does, what it pointed out for me is that, like, how um, how weak that was, like, to do that to women in the first place. Not that it should – I don't think it should be done to any character. Oh, okay, so that style. That style They're isn't really – the passive participant isn't the best, is, it, yeah, is well, that what so, you're saying? Yeah, well, passive participant isn't – like, there isn't a way they contribute, and there isn't a way – so, like, people passively motivate. So, like, my wife and I are – um, been in a band together forever. We, uh, Derpo Robbins, all this mm -hmm. music we together. And she doesn't write as much as I do. She doesn't have time. She's, she's just doesn't. And, um, and so I've carved out the time to do this more, but there's not a thing I write that I'm not trying to impress her with. Right. And there's not a thing I write that if she pokes a hole in it, I won't change. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not, she's there's not really a passive participant there. Like, you know, in a lot of relationships, there could be someone who's adding more and not and uh, one who's doing more explicit things and someone who is doing more implicit things. But the reality is, is that I I'm kind of insane without her around. Like mm. I'm not a stable person. I don't know what to focus on. Like she mm. kind of helped me focus myself in, and then you know her beauty inspires me to try to find beauty and and put it into art. So mm. she's not a passive participant. Mm. Um, and so that's part. Say there was a there's a I remember the original like uh, Lost World, which is like Jurassic Park. There's a feminine character running around in that, and she's just always fainting and always impressed by the guys who are rescuing her. And like, mm. that's fine to have happen. Right. And, and so what the problem was is because it was presented that way so often that she is an audience member for mm. the hero, as mm -hmm. opposed to someone who's inspiring the hero, someone who's, who's initiating the quest for the hero, all these interesting ways you can be in that role, mm -hmm. right. Where it just becomes a stand in and like it. And so it really stands out now when they do it, when they flip it, cause it's so awkward yeah. to watch guy have no clue what to do no sense of of when to step in no willingness to sacrifice himself for the cause mm -hmm. and to just sit there and be impressed by the girl who's doing the things that the men did in the past now i'm not advocating one way or the other but um i'm saying it yeah it really shows up extra good because we haven't seen how bad of an idea that was as as a storyteller well how well how do you tell good feminine stories then that's that is my question. Step one, pay attention to the world and the way it actually works. And I don't just mean on one level, like uh, the, you know, I don't just mean on like how do guys interact with girls in the workspace. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the way the day and night interact, the way the land and mm. sea interact, um, the union of opposites in the mm. world. Like, so, um, you don't even know there's a day if there's no night. You don't know there's a night if there's no day. Like so, let's say light. Let's just give the story. Like so, let's say the you know the heavens where light comes from is masculine and the earth is feminine. Um, light shines and it's alone until it has something to strike mm. and to shine its glory upon, right? And or to illuminate. Um, so a question is meaningless unless there's an answer. Uh, so part of the thing is is that there's. Um, you know, the one the one thing really needs the other. So 
if you look at life and where people find beauty, it's generally in the union of opposites. Like a really um, simple example is a uh, thing I always liked when I was a kid was seeing ivy growing on a brick wall. Because there's, oh, yeah, yeah. there's a covenant between nature and and this fixed uh, structure, this technological structure that we've built. Mm. And it's like there's an agreement. And when those two things find a way to work together, it makes something better than just the brick wall or just the ivy growing in the wild. And mm. now that's a that's my most obscure example. But we can get to really practical examples of like uh, the union of day and night sunset sunrise like mm. people find these things beautiful uh, why does everyone love to go to the beach it's a weird thing where water meets land you wouldn't expect to find sand but you do and there's you this... wouldn't why wouldn't you expect to well because it's like well if you put water on stuff it's it grows right so it's not the kind of water that grows and so there's sand is yeah. something you find in the desert normally like so where oh, it's right. dry. So, okay, so you paid attention. See, and this is why you're the one that giving the answers right now. So there's a little irony. There's mm. irony things come together. I mean, in the Christian story, the center of it, there's the cross. And when you get into mm. the chapters around when Christ goes to the cross, there's so much irony about being crowned with thorns and mm. all these different things that happen at the same time. It's like everything is being... Um, Everything is being filled and it meets in almost a sense that would be ironic when two opposites meet properly. So mm. um, I don't know if irony is the right word, but there's a surprise in it. Let's just mm. say there's there's mm -hmm. a little bit of a surprise in it. So, um, yeah, so that's one of the things. So you have to pay attention to the world and you have to also pay attention to um, – Okay, so here's the thing. So in stories, like uh, there's a common trope, and it's a good trope. I think it's the right idea. And you see this in Little Mermaid, and I don't love Disney's Little Mermaid. See, I love, I love, I was, I was four. No, I love the movie, but like the, they nerf the ending. They always do this. So like a tragedy, um, tragedy and comedy as a form is a really good idea because if you behave in such a way that it would it could lead to your death and you die it's like yeah okay great we understand that now if you're risking your life for something greater and more important that's a different story but when mm -hmm. a character is when a fish tries to become a human um there's a problem like and and the hans christian anderson original version i mean it doesn't go well for the little murray it's a tragic story it but it's a cool story so mm -hmm. but one of the things that's at stake is you know like in a lot of Disney movies it's like oh there's just a dad here like what's the deal and it's like well yes. okay so uh, I think it has to do with the psychology of Walt Disney and his mother. Anyway, go on, though. Well, yeah, but also because it, it it gives you a clue into what the story might be about in the end. Meaning that, like in Pinocchio, it doesn't have a mother, right? He has this right. fairy godmother, this this thing that's too far off and too vague that he doesn't understand. Yeah. And he he has to come to grips with what his nature is. He wants to be a real boy. Little Mermaid wants to be a person, right? Mm. She lost her mother and she's, what's at question now is her nature. So like mm. um, a lot of people talk about this, that a lot of times in a story, the father, missing the father will be um, a death of culture or a need to find or restore culture. Mm -hmm. And the death of the mother will be a need to, to understand your nature or to find your true nature. Um, oh, sorry, so, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm so many little... Oh, that's why Tarzan culture, no father. He had right. the mother figure though. Though, oh, sorry, I'm I'm, so, I'm just going through my Disney catalog. Yeah, and, <laughs> and so this is it's a trope because it's it's something real. So um, this is what I love about the story in Genesis of um, the Garden of Eden because mm -hmm. when you really understand that, like 
the garden is a feminine structure, mm-hmm. right? Like your home itself, the fact that you're in a home, like people call their boats. Like why is the boats always feminine? Why is it superstitious to, to give it a masculine name? Like why, mm-hmm. why are you going to sink if you do that? Because you will. You won't necessarily sink in your boat, but if you, if you give things, if you don't understand their place and how they help you or how you help them, it could be a problem. Mm-hmm. So, um, so please go back the, to the, the Little Mermaid thing. Well, you were going on oh, finding oh, yeah. the mother. Yes. Okay, the Garden of Eden. So, oh, um, yes. All right. So one of the things that it explains part of the human experience in the sense that we're kicked out of we're kicked out of this womb, this mothering structure. Mm-hmm. And that part of, you know, as the story goes, are we're meant to live there, but we're not there. Right. Mm-hmm. So now we're somewhere we're not meant to live. And so mm-hmm. you and I have all these desires that um you know, are unrequited, that uh, we have a desire for things to never go wrong. We're always surprised, like, when someone finally dies. It's like, yeah. there's all these things, it's like, why are these things, why would we this just... This isn't open- normal, but it is, but it doesn't feel like it. Absolutely all the time. We've never seen it another way, but yet when a plane crashes, it's still a tragedy. And it's like, of course the plane's going to crash. Mm-hmm. Of course we're going to die. Of course you're never going to be satisfied for long enough. You know, you're, you're going to, you're always going to need more food and... You're going to have to keep working and you're going to get tired and you're going to cry. And it's like, why do these things always feel off? Right. Mm. And, and it's when it's an absolutely normal, necessary part of our experience, uh, you know, and so when you look at the Garden of Eden story and you realize like, oh, my gosh, we're not living where we were built. We we're not in our mother's arms in that sense. And we need to be reunited. So it's these structures are everywhere. And if you look at it that way and you, and you personify these structures that way, you're going to feel more connected with reality and you're going to understand how the world works better. Um, so the little mermaid's a good example of that where she goes and trades, um, you know, she tries to trade off something, you know, to try to figure out like, could she be a human? Like she doesn't know what her nature should be. Yeah. Yeah. And she gives off her voice. Well, I mean, we can get into this for a while and break that one down. But yeah. Oh, okay. I mean. Yeah. Oh, no, we don't need to. Whatever. <laughs> you're you're like, no, no, I have so much time. So. Okay. I love that. Um, so, you know, so one of the things that's cool, like when you pick up the story of Genesis and you start to read it, um, everything, everything's alive and has a personality. Even, um, oh, what was I going to say? Um, okay. Yeah. Even, even all the way down to like where you get into Cain and Abel, he talks about, um, to Cain, like sin is stalking you like a lion. Mm. Right. And so there's this personified language that the universe is alive and has things have personalities and ways to Mm. understand them as a living pattern, not just Mm. this dead fixed pattern. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's what gets me excited. And I, it took me a while as an artist to tap into that. That's the right way to see the world. Um, because, because everybody's so disconnected Mm -hmm. and they don't, and we, we interact with people, we interact with faces. And so there's a way to put faces on reality and there's Mm -hmm. a way to put a personality where we can really understand what we're looking at and how we are a part of it. Mm. Okay. So, Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Very much. I'm still stuck on the Little Mermaid thing and being like, okay, wait, don't. can you finish? <laughs> You're like, no, it'll take Mermaid. me hours. Well, so I'll give you, here's a weird thing. So Little Mermaid at the- So does it know, have to be a tragedy? Like, is that kind of where you were going with it? Because- Well, it probably should be um, if it's going to be honest. Okay. So, But why look, is that honest? Like, I just want to know the why. I'll give you a type. 
of okay. answers. Okay. Einstein said, I, I'm not going to get the quote right, but he said something like, you know, a, a, fish will, a, a fish will look very dumb if you ask it to climb a tree. Right. Um, so there is part of knowing yourself is like being able to understand because people underestimate their potential all the time. And at, at the same time, they don't know themselves and know their own limitations because there are like there are limitations. You know, people talk about there's arguments in like in religion about is there really free will or whatnot? Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. well, it, it, there there's are ways there's not free will because I could just decide I want to fly right now and can't figure out how to fly. Like, so I don't. My will could be to fly, but I cannot fly because okay. there there is a limited capacity in which these things could even be argued about being something that exists. Mm -hmm. uh, so y you have to look at those things. So the world's full of categories and borders that if you and if you don't believe that, like go visit a volcano and see if you can walk across the lava. Like mm -hmm. if you don't understand lava and you try to step into it, you're going to burn. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know. How many times in your life did you test to see if a fire's hot with your hand? Like once, like mm -hmm. after that, you're the like, you iron. know, yeah, for me, right? So part it of was the, hot. It was part of the tragedies, I think, were a way of, you know, a persuasive way of handing over well and hard earned and hard fought wisdom mm. in the sense that it's like, okay, little mermaid, you're a mermaid. You're this like liminal figure of the ocean. Um, you know, you're this mysterious figure. Now you want to walk around on two feet and dry land and breathe air. Like mm. if we do something similar to that in real life, and we're not talking about just like bounding over gender boundaries or something like that, or um, I'm going to be the, you know, the first guy ever to have a baby or something like that. Like I'm not talking about that kind of uh, bending. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, if you, if you, in life, you try to, like you try to swim too deep, you're going to have a problem. There's all kinds of ways you can have problems. And, but there's all kinds of ways people are tempted to not understand themselves to their own death. So, mm. uh, tragedies help people understand that there's, um, you know, there's, there are certain forces in the world you cannot go up against, you know, I'm you can't like Icarus, the, the story of Icarus with the version of that story. Yeah. 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 It's another great version of that. So, um, his fly, I reference that story a lot. Um, mm. uh, I, I love to throw like subtle, like jabs at it in lyrics. Um, <laughs> I'll have to listen for that. But Pinocchio is a really similarly structured story to the little mermaid. Um, you know, and, but it's, it's a less propagandistic version of it. So, uh, in the sense that the way Pinocchio works, it leads to, it naturally leads to a happy ending. I was going to ask, how did he earn his happy ending Whereas for The Little Mermaid, it's not earned. Okay. Um, well, I would say the shortest version of this would be that uh, when we meet Pinocchio in the beginning, he's totally lost and he's a total idiot. And his his conscience, Jiminy Cricket, JC, is um, <laughs> it just spouts off platitudes. Yeah. And yeah. like – and. Um, things that Pinocchio can't even understand yet. And I don't even know if he understands their application. He just starts saying the types of things you would, if you were going to role play a mm -hmm. good conscience. Um, and so, you know, through tragedy and perseverance, Pinocchio eventually becomes um, the person that through wisdom and daring rescues his father from the belly of the whale. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, okay. and that's when he becomes a real boy. So mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of right. It's like, um, it's not just kind of, I think it's very right, actually. Mm. 
Um, but you know, I could we could sit here and just we could do like a whole series of podcasts tearing down Disney stories and or <laughs> building up the good ones because there's there's so much there. But you we understand that there is a so when when stories were seen merely as escapism, like a way mm-hmm. to escape the real world, the whole point was to send people away at that point with a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Story this theater where we we learned the most important things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're right. And so they just became this sort of escapist thing. So people want to go out and get away from the jail they live in. And they don't want to hear more stories about the jail. They want to hear. <laughs> and this is a good thing, too. There's like there's an escapist side of it that's good. But there's also a side of it that's like, no, no, no. If you just want us to. It's something like this moral therapeutic society where we're just supposed to go around and tell each other what we want to hear. And that's mm-hmm. our job like to make everybody feel good is to validate their position. And there's something about that that was already happening in entertainment for a while where it was like, no, our job is to make you feel good in the end. Our job mm. isn't to face. Um, mm-hmm. So mm. I think that's um, that's part of that breakdown that really started happening um, when entertainment and stories weren't just something that was handed off to each other, like because they were interesting and useful, they were a commodity. So when you commodi- okay. make something into a commodity – now it's it can be something like a drug that's supposed to have a certain effect on people. Um, and the fact that it's good or bad for you isn't important anymore. So, I mean, you can see that with Disney. Disney misses it. It hits it right on the mark sometimes and then misses it big time when they have to turn a tragedy into a positive thing. Right. So- well, that's the really interesting thing about like Marvel phase one is the ending ends in this giant sacrifice. Mm hmm. You know, I, I I feel weird being like spoilers, but I I mean I guess you know what I'm talking yeah, about. Like so. a, your shelf life on when something's a spoiler. <laughs> I, I, I love it when it's like no, like when someone does a history and there's like a history, um, you know something or other like uh, whether like 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 a Netflix like is doing a history something or other and it's like no spoilers. It's like but it's it's history. <laughs> But still, it could still be spoiled. But anyways, but there is such a sacrifice there, and but then then all of the phase two stuff is, I shouldn't say all, but much of it. And Jonathan has done some breakdowns as to like what's wrong with Mm -hmm. the phase two stuff. Um, Yeah, and it's it's just like oh, what happened? What happened, Marvel? You had it so right at some points, and now it's just turning. Yeah, yeah. So this is part of the thing is that. Um, you know, this is why I think you should talk to, um, uh, Sevilla King. She does the metaphysics of quality. And so in the metaphysics of quality, there's this, there's this idea that the universe has this base level where everything is super rigid. There are laws, there are structures that always respond the same way to the same input over and over again. Gravity responds the way it's supposed to. The universe behaves all the time. But as you move up to like the biological levels and then the social levels, Mm. things start to get more malleable where Mm. they have little wiggle room before they're called into check. Mm -hmm. But again, like if you invent a social structure that is too far, that doesn't respect the bottom levels, eventually that social structure will be cut off because Mm. it will be judged over time by reality itself. Okay. And then the fourth level would be the narrative level. And the narrative level is I can make up any kind of story I want, any kind of story. And the story can be, even without me knowing it, like, so some people's like, you know, religious decisions or anti-religious decisions are unknowingly, they sort the information of the world based upon a desire for how they want the world to be. Hmm. Uh, 
to to alleviate a fear of theirs, right? Mm-hmm. Alleviate a fear. So, um, and so the narrative level, you can do this. The problem is, it's still that even that level will be called into check eventually. So, you know, for example, when you invent a system of government that um, we've seen this happen in the 20th century, where people will not voluntarily participate. Mm-hmm. Meaning there's not a proper incentive structure. Only thing left is fear. So you mm-hmm. have to control through fear. Right. Okay. So now what happens is, is that the fact that this, like we'll say utopia, like in a, in a government system that has utopia, this utopia isn't really here and people aren't really happy and, and people aren't really feeling this generosity. And so everything needs to be manipulated. So it looks like, it's working or um, so that people can't like the Truman show. They can't see outside of it anymore. They can't see that there's a real world out there worth visiting, or there's another way to do things. So this is part of the the role of propaganda and you can see it in Hollywood big time now. Um, And there are right wing and left versions of this, Um, but we see the left wing versions because most people whose personalities skew left personality types skew left happen to be the entertainers, artists, Mm -hmm. like, like myself, like I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm personality. I'm I skew left in that in that sense. But um, so uh, so what happens is is that you know so you have a world. You want to see the world a certain way. You have a certain desire, mm-hmm. and you're not necessarily stating that desire. You're going to present that thing that alleviates that fear of yours as true, mm-hmm. and you're going to manipulate the elements that you allow into your world and into your stories to constantly confirm that. So it's, there are things like this that happen. So, uh, you know, when you're walking down a city street and you see someone staring up at a building and Mm -hmm. someone else stares up and everybody starts staring up because there is this social aspect that if we all act like something's true, that Mm. people think it's true until it's tested. So, um, there are aspects of the world like this and there's things that we've inherited. Like, like you talked about in Iron Man, the fact that this character ends with this sacrifice, like Mm -hmm. Iron Man uh, in the Marvel universe, this sacrifice and that the sacrificial hero is something that really got ingrained through Christianity. Mm -hmm. You know, people that'll make much better cases and longer cases for that. And we just accept it, that that's what a hero is. The hero is this sort of like underdog type character who, who overcomes, you know, David overcomes Goliath and he yeah. gives and he sacrifices himself to do so. Yeah. And we think that's the real hero. The hero that's out to, for his own glory is not a hero really anymore. Mm. Um, okay, so that's something that used to be the hero and now right. it's not. So Yeah, in ancient Greek stories it was like well, Hercules because, got to go to right. be with the gods. So So there's a way if you tell enough stories that people will believe it's true and even more so if that story is backed up by every level of reality, which it is. So like the 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 self-sacrificing martyr type of hero or the one who's who won't spare his own flesh for the sake of others, mm-hmm. that actually works like in every level of reality. Like so all yeah. the way down to the bottom level, that's how you 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 know, even even in the sense that your body one day will support worms like you know what i mean like in the craziest sense like yeah. everything's dying and resurrecting all the time so let's just say i don't like that story right and so i want to tell different stories um we have a problem is that whatever story you're telling will eventually tell on itself it won't mm. work you can see the unrest that comes about from it you can see the problems it causes so when we look at hollywood and we see that shift in marvel we see this there was this really serious politicization of um, what was going on where the 
everybody started to – we started to gain this momentum where everybody started seeing every thought and every belief and every story as an indication of which way someone would vote. Like everything mm. became like an indicator. So like if I'm just here in a conversation and I say something to someone, it's like I'm, I'm not interested in wearing a mask. They're like, oh my gosh, you're a Republican, right? Mm. right? It's like, oh, okay. Right. So there's this sense that like every belief is connected to a political party, which is connected to this zombie apocalypse where this one party is going to take over and force mm -hmm. us to eat our brains and force us to do everything their way. Um, so that's what you see in Marvel is that there's the, the this world that's in Hollywood um, has a specific idea of what they want the world to look like or what they want certain types of people to be. So they force it into the story, even if it wouldn't be the natural conclusion or the natural consequence. And so right. it's unrealistic in every way. There, there's so many high budget films that where people aren't obeying the laws of physics and <laughs> yeah. not participating in the structure of reality in a way that makes sense. And so, uh, you know, so I think that's, that's what's going on is that, yeah, if you're, I mean, you see it in the news, like the news companies, they just, they don't report the news. They manage the news. They're trying mm -hmm. to cover up. They're trying to slant. They're trying to change the language. They, this mm -hmm. has always happened, but it just seems to be like a little more demonstrative now than it has been in the yeah, past. In the movies, in the, yes, because it's not just, uh, I want to tell a story that the way that it used to be. Well, even like you were saying with these happy endings that were not happy initially, mm -hmm. that even that is a slant. You know, like, oh, the culture wants to feel happy at the end, you know? Um, so I there, I wanted to go back. You, you said, because I said, how do you tell feminine stories? And so I'm going to, I'm going to backtrack. Mm -hmm. This was a lovely tangent, by the way. I, I, I oh, like okay. it, but, but not even really tangent, but like, so I'm, but, I'm, but I, what's the it's second thing? It's just a thing? conversation. That's what yeah. conversations yeah. are. <laughs> well, like, but, but uh, yeah, the, the, so the first thing you have to do is pay attention. Uh-huh. Well, what's the second thing? Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. So one, you pay attention. back to the list. Yeah. All right. So now when you're paying attention, you have to look for what you already believe because you're going to defend, you're going to defend what you already believe and have already seen because it's efficient to defend in, in, you know, what you've already seen. And that mm -hmm. half your brain's literally dedicated to that. But there's another half of your brain that's kind of reaching out and searching. Like you have one hand that's one side that's protecting and one side that's reaching and searching. Right. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. There's this, I mean, we're talking scientific categories, yeah. which is not my strength, but, you know, there is a, a line that, down the middle of your mind that really inhibits those two sides from working together. So mm. um, I think I know a way when I see an artist and I'm hearing them disconnected from their own heart and soul and the way they experience the world, I feel like I've started to learn some of the things I can give to someone in that sense. So, mm. and, and so pay attention. And then, um, I would, you know, see everything. I guess the, the way I would say it is this pay attention and then personify everything that could just be the shortest way to doing it. And I'll give you an example. Um, besides the examples in Genesis and all throughout the Bible and, um, the way of seeing these patterns you're witnessing as a personality, which is helpful. Um, so, Oh, you know what? Let me, let me just tell you this. So I was already, uh, cracking into this in around 2007, 2008, my writing dramatically changed. I was writing for other people a lot. I was writing with an out. I really had an outcome I wanted. I wanted to write a hit or I wanted to mm -hmm. write, mm -hmm. you know, I wanted to satisfy this audience here. 
and I just switched. I just shut off and I was like, no, I'm going to pay attention to what's going on inside me. Mm-hmm. And not in a selfish sense, in the sense that I believe that other people are like me and that we share a lot of common experiences. So we, we like hopefully know a little bit of love and we know a little bit of fear and we know a little bit of these things and there's these common experiences. So I was like, if I can just find what's interesting to me, what breaks my heart, what puts it back together again, mm-hmm. and and I can find beauty and I can see it for myself, then when I hand it off to other people, I don't even have to worry about it. They're going mm-hmm. to see it if they take the time to listen. Um, so there, I think it was 2012. So something what Jonathan talks about, let me go back a little bit farther again, uh, what he talks about in this sort of symbolic world that he speaks about explicitly, I had already started dabbling in it implicitly. Like I didn't mm. really understand the structures. I just knew there was a certain way when I looked out my window and I saw this alive world full of personalities and things to interact with and myths um, that, and I put, and I described the world that way. I described the patterns of the world as a myth that suddenly there was all of this excitement and energy in my own heart about it. And, and then I could see people's eyes lighting up when I handed it off to them. Uh, in 2012, there was a like a straw that broke the camel's back for me, and I was reading a book. Um, it was called The Dream of Perpetual Motion. Have you ever read this? No. No, it's cool. It's a cool book. Uh, I, I think this like weird genius guy like wrote one book in his lifetime, and this is it. Okay. Uh, and you know what he thinks about everything, but he there was a character in there that like perfectly, um, explicitly said what I was feeling about the world and its condition when it came to story. Um, So I can, let me pull it. I have this on my computer. Let me pull it up the line. Okay. So it's this, it's the main character's father. His name is Harry Winslow. And here's what he says. There's one paragraph here. He says, when I was your age, miracles were commonplace to me. Childhood and adolescence seem as if they happened just a little time ago, just on the other side of a line dividing centuries. But you who cannot remember a world that was not filled with machines, you'll, uh, you will never be able to imagine the drastic differences between your youth and mine. Mm-hmm. When I was a child, people could fly without the need of jerry-rigged contraptions that were just as likely to ex- explode as to not. When I was young, angels and demons walked the city streets, and they were fearless. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, when I read that, I was like, this we've lost this like myth- mythic universe. So... Um, there's so many ways to talk about this. Let me give you a weird example. I'll ask artists. Okay. So I do this with my kids, actually. My kids are pretty darn creative. And um, so if we go, go into a forest one day and there's two questions you could ask, and I'll, and I'll tell you the better one if, for, if you want to be an artist, you okay. can ask them, what's their favorite tree? Okay. That's one. That's, that would be a standard question. Um, the more artistic way, and I think the, the more connected way to see it would ask them this, which tree is the proudest? So it doesn't necessarily make sense at first, but one of them implies that that tree has a goal and a will. And the other one, which is objective, right? We can we know what it's trying to do. We know how it's trying to grow. We know what it's about, right? Um, you know when a tree is being a good tree. Uh, but when you ask them what their favorite is, you're asking them something very subjective, like about like they might like the shape of that tree. It's about their they're alone in the mm. universe. Mm, mm. Evaluate the universe as that this is something that there's all these wills and you have a place in it. Like then, boom, it's uh, you start to see it differently because you if you pay attention to trees, you realize a tree has a will. It does. It doesn't mm. it might not look just like yours. It might be more. It might be more simplistic, but this is the reason people saw naiads and dryads and these things. And so um, what I'm trying to rescue back 
in my own life first, which I feel like I've done a lot of work towards and in my friend's life second, and then hopefully in an audience through music is that there was this scientific way of looking at the world. And you can see a little of this in episode one where they looked at the world through the glasses Hmm. of telescopes and microscopes. And sadly, those were like the eyes of a basilisk, which is when they freeze what they look at, you know, and a basilisk Hmm. freeze. So, um, Science has this nature to fix things in place. So a star, which was this mysterious object, which we saw as a stand-in for angels or the divine council or muses or whatever, that, those are driven away for some more from some boring, less personalized, less interactive definition of just this, you know, incandescent ball of gas. Mm-hmm. And so all of the things around the world, as we started, we started to look at them through these lenses, we were fixing them in place and fixing them in place. And we didn't realize that we weren't just driving these spirits out of it. We were driving our own spirit out of it. Well, I'm and, thinking of the, of the butterflies. Have you seen that when they, when they're pinned down in those yeah. little just atrium type thing, but there, it's not even for them to live in it. They're dead. Yeah. They're dead things that are sort of being there and their wings are spread out and, and they're pinned down. Yeah. A, and it's like, but but we wouldn't get to see them, all of us in whatever museum or whatever you know. Yeah, I'm thinking Victorian time, you know, kind of the time of when, the Edwardian times of like, well, we we brought back this rare specimen from the Galapagos, and you wouldn't see them if we didn't bring them back like this. Yeah, They're beauty, it, but it was better it, having them be alive, like, and not us not seeing them then in the end. Well, that we might, we might. The the reality is, is that you could actually probably see them and understand them better in a story of them, mm-hmm. than you can in the in the shape of it. But there's something about, you know, so like Christ says that uh, Thomas is like better those who have seen and believed, who have, who haven't seen and still believe, mm-hmm. right? In the sense mm-hmm. that there is a part of us that wants to put our finger in that wound, yes. um, and, you know, and so that's. It's really it's really nice when a story exists in the narrative world and the material world at the same time. That's always really cool. Um, but if I'm going to give up one for the other, I keep the story and unpin the butterfly, right? Like I keep <laughs> so um, that's just my take on it. But I think that what's what we didn't realize we did is that we we have driven the we've depersonified the universe and depersonified ourselves at the same time. So people just think they're they they're alone. They're alone. They don't mm. have this common experience. We're we're constantly told that we don't understand people's experiences, and I don't think that's true at all. If that were true, stores wouldn't know what to sell, and people wouldn't know what to put on the screen for a movie to get someone to come because our experiences are actually very similar, male and female, mm. of the world. Now there are differences in everyone's experience. We all have these individual characteristics. We're all like the world's smallest minority group of one, uh, but at the same time, you know the the world has this. Um, the world has lost its sense when they've kind of like opted for this sort of secular scientific definition that the universe exists for its own sake and that it doesn't exist for a purpose. You weren't made for a place in it. And what a boring, unsatisfying and disheartening way to live. Very nihilistic. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. And so I don't, I don't get it. Um, I don't get it just from a satisfaction point. Um, Two, I don't get it as an artistic point of view because it's not interesting. The scientific stories and definitions are not interesting stories. They're terrible stories. They're terrible storytellers. Are they even and... stories? <laughs> yeah. Like, like uh, it feels for facts. Like it just says, yeah, the science stuff of, uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah. So that's kind of, so you have to, um, 
someone has to if they want to tell different stories they have to absorb the world differently mm. and if someone's running into this weird materialistic block and they're running into blocks all the time it's because you're cut off from your own heart like and you're cannibalizing your own heart with the way you define the world mm. and what does uh, that mean that's well yeah you know it's true when i said it but you didn't know what it means isn't that weird um that that's why i'm the why but why girl i love it well i mean in the same sense that like you know so if you want to if you want to power over something, you have to you have to make it less than you. And people want power over everything. And so uh, science gives us a lot of power. It's like mm. we have a lot of reliable gadgets in my room and things we're using right now, right? Yeah. So the problem is is that well, at what cost? Yeah. Well, so the problem is is that theoretical science and the ones that are telling the story of the universe, uh, they've conflated their success with the success of the person that built the microchip. And it's not the same thing. Like applied science is a very different thing. The person who figured out how to put a baboon heart in a person's body or a mechanical heart in a person's body, that's very different science than someone telling me about the origin of mankind and telling me what's really going on when we're interacting in the world. Their, 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 narrative, um, their narrative structures don't participate with anything that's human at all. Or even this, like, so there's this weird idea where we're like, um, we try to reduce everything down to evolutionary processes that, mm -hmm. uh, that everything we do is a product of evolution. Like as if we could see that because we're seeing through the very lens of the thing we're talking about. And, and you can't look at your own eye without a mirror. Right. And so, right. um, there's this, we're not above. Yeah. yeah, there's this sense that like, what are you even saying right now that like that all of our love and all the things we experience are just neurochemical responses? It's like or is your ability to see that also part of what you've evolved to do? So you're not really looking outside of evolution. You're still subject to it. Mm. So it's just it's a, I think it's impractical and dumb and lifeless. And um, I think that there's aspects of science that are fantastic. I think their uh -huh. narrative power to connect the dots has been absolutely de-personifying and and people that keep repeating and repeating and repeating and telling these these like i mean lost kids like uh, there's so many sad kids who just um that you know they're just arbitrary pieces of of matter that have come together and that they don't they're they're not a real identity or a real thing mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. i think that's that's crime like that's thought oh, crime so, i know no it is sad it, it feels yeah like what are we doing what are we doing to to our we need, yeah, whenever people say we need better stories and it, it, it does seem like you can say that, well, what is, why, what does it mean to need better stories and, and what the, what you're talking about, because look what we have without the good stories. It seems like we need direction. We're, we're like told what is factually yeah. divorced from passion and we, yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to sort of be find the path again. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. So this is why I want to tell a story with some feminine power on all mm -hmm. levels, cosmic level and the protector of this mystery, the secret. Um, I want to I want to tell that story because this is part of it's just part of filling that space. I don't mm -hmm. want to see everything just be masculine and meaning that women just take on masculine forms mm, uh, because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean what you're what you're asking to do is that it's weird because again men and women are mostly probably the same especially from like an outside the human race perspective you could imagine that like you know to your dog it's like it doesn't matter that you're a man or a woman it doesn't they don't care they have no 
reason to know that. Um, but as long uh, as you feed me and take me for a walk. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, just the types of like the way we solve problems, the what we represent in the universe, everything can't be explicit and every secret can't be unveiled. And or in, in the bigger lie is that we think we can ex make everything explicit, meaning that we can describe everything and that be a satisfying description. But there's no thing that you can describe in the world that anyone can describe adequately. So there's no abolishment of the feminine or there's no just transferring on the human level masculine roles to feminine to the to women and suddenly our problems go away we've only created a bigger problem we we're not focusing on what's missing there's a gap yeah. yeah so do you think it's more difficult because of the sort of nature of a the veiling the secret the that sort of a mystery of, of the feminine do you think it's more difficult to tell stories because of that or well, is it just yeah. different? So you hurt the story when, like, so if, if I go in and I try to explain the story symbolically too much, I will hurt the story and then mm. for the viewer. Because now you're looking at this, like, thing in a snow globe you're shaking up and staring mm. at, as opposed to being inside that little city mm. while it's snowing. Mm. So I don't want to take people out of the little city with the snow falling around them and them just looking at it through a glass ball. Um, so this is the, the the danger of talking about it too much and not mm. just experiencing it. The problem is, is that I think uh, Jonathan Pachoa said this great. There's there's such a breakdown that it's kind of like we need to just suck it up and talk about it for a little mm. while, like mm -hmm. just so people can hopefully entice them back into what they're missing. And like the like there's this they say reenchantment, like there's this song and there's this harmony of the world and there's this mm. common experience where we're all part of this massive composition and we all have a part to play and. People need to you need to show people the sheet music first sometimes mm. before they learn to play the song. And so we're kind of in the, I think culturally we're a little bit in that mode where we're explaining these things. Um, but, you know, so you have to un unveil some of that more than I would things that in hopefully at a future date I could leave more veiled. Mm. Um, that's the problem is that veiling is not it's almost entirely seen as a negative right now. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. culturally. So like the idea that you would cover yourself up, that like you'd be ashamed of the way you look in any capacity that, um, you know, that you're, you're hiding your true self. And it's like, no, no, that's not it, man. Like, you know, so, um, or that seduction is in itself a good thing. Like there is an aspect of wooing that mm -hmm. is beautiful. And there's an aspect, aspect of seduction um, especially you can use this in stories as weaponized femininity, mm -hmm. you know? Um, okay. So I'll tell you a really grown up story um, because I was in Las Vegas and this was a version of this. So like if people don't realize there, there is, there's a way that it's seen that men hurt the world and there's a way that women hurt the world. And mm -hmm. the way that women hurt the world gets a little less noticed because mm. it's almost rewarded sometimes. So mm. it's certainly rewarded with attention when it comes to seduction is that, um, I'm uh, I'm doing some work with a uh, writing for someone who has a big Vegas show and uh, doing some writing for them. And so I'm waiting for a friend who lives in town to pick me up at the bar at a casino. Mm -hmm. And at the bar, there's a, you know, like there's random people sitting alone and there's some suspiciously attractive women around, like hanging around. Isn't that just Vegas? Like suspiciously <laughs> Yeah. And then, like, you know, just this so it goes up and starts. She just starts hitting on this guy who's just he just no one's ever hit on him this attractive in his entire life. Yeah. And I felt so bad for this guy. It's yeah. like, you know, because he's got he doesn't understand the, the set of weapons that's coming after him right now to extract his money. Right. Yeah. So. 
you know, I mean, I don't have to describe this person's job explicitly for you. You get the implicit nature of the story. I do, yes. And then someone comes up and talks to me, and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, you don't have to do this. Like, you have – like, there's value to your life. What you're, what you're selling isn't for sale. Like, I mean, there's – I talked to her for a minute, and she thought I was a cop. And, uh, <laughs> and oh, Only a cop would talk like this to me. Yeah, so yeah. it's like – well, I mean, a cop would just try to bait her in and catch her. Like, so yeah. – um, but it, there was a wep- it was weaponized femininity, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't work the other way around. You're not gonna have a bunch of male gigolos doing this. Like the world, men and women are different. Like I'm sorry, mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Like you're not gonna have a bunch of, you know, middle aged women hanging out at a bar and then young no. Chip and Dale dancers coming up and. <laughs> we're in the, oh, the, that would be a very. That oh, that they're gonna make that movie. Mark my yeah. words. Well, the problem is, is like, the, the, you know, we know like the woman's going to feel self-conscious about herself. She's not, you know, like it's just there's so many problems that brings up that just doesn't work. And we understand the differences. And if you don't think mm-hmm. there are differences, all you have to do is observe this pattern. This pattern exists. So there must be differences to support that pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. So that's the problem with veiling is that like um, it's I think it's really hard for women to understand like the role of wooing. Like, mm. right. And it's, it's just there. Why, why do you think it's, I mean, I have my own thoughts, but I, why do you think it's hard for women nowadays to understand the role of woo- wooing? Yeah. So it's all, it's always, there's always a problem. It's never one side's problem. The problem is, is that there is an audience that won't pay attention long enough to notice what's worth noticing in a woman often, you know what I mean? So someone who'll dig in and see, and see maybe a quieter, less obtrusive beauty about her, right? <laughs> Mm. When the girl next to her who's just giving it all away is getting mm. all of the attention. Like, mm. what does that tell you about? Like, if attention's the currency you're looking for, what are you going to try for, right? And so um, that's why it's so hard because it's like you can uh, – the a quiet, modest beauty. Like, for a beautiful woman who's beautiful in any way, modesty is her crown. Mm. And um, that's not a crown. Like, that doesn't get people attention. It doesn't – like, it doesn't get people – it doesn't get people what they're advertising. It doesn't get people their uh, their views. So it's it's a super difficult world to live in for someone who's trying to figure out how to dress or trying mm. to because you you got to you got to admit there's got to be some line where you don't have class anymore, right? There's got to be there's got to be some otherwise it's just we're all naked and it's stupid <laughs> and uh, you know and some of us are gonna win that battle because some of us look so bad and also. <laughs> It's not the way the world's meant to be. The whole world will disintegrate at that point. Whoa. But there's been this okay. sexual revolution, and it's been mm-hmm. rough on families and kids and, and the whole planet. It mm-hmm. just that people will trade it off in this revolution. Let's change the game. Yeah. yeah, they trade it off something they could get quicker and faster and cheaper um, for a level of stability and earnest. Well, personifying like what you were saying in general. Yeah, you're that. just well, an object. Yeah. Do you, okay, so do you think that part of this... Um, film project that you've been working on that it is sort of teaching people what the feminine is again like what it this yeah, is a I, reminder okay so here's we can cross the line to something else i don't think really too much about what i do like until okay. someone has to talk about it so when i'm making it i don't think about it at all it just it just it's like a detail of a story will come into my mind like an image like i might see this boy getting handed a capricorn scale by this mysterious girl Mm-hmm. And then I like you're interviewing me. I interview it until I get all the answers. Like, well, how'd you get there? What's going on? What does that okay. lead to? What does he do oh. next? Right. So and then I don't think about it like structurally at all. I think about it as far as what holds my attention and what feels like 
it feels like I'm telling on a smaller sense part of this cosmic dance of life. Mm. Um, and you know, when I get it right, uh, I, it does something to me like, and then I have to, and I'm compelled and without, without interruption and without deviation, I'm able to finish that project. So it's like, I find this, the seed of this thing that, um, it's not my passion to finish it. It becomes a compulsion and then I finish it. And then, mm. so then I, then I, I start to think about it or I oh, only interesting. Think, yeah. So then I think about it. So that's why like this time around I pulled Jonathan in, like I told him the story and asked him if he wanted to consult on it because I thought if there were mistakes I was making as far as this sort of symbolic cosmology he has, because I really love, I really love the way he describes things. And I think it's, I think it's very, very right. Like, uh, he, in a sense, he made explicit my own implicit intuition to me when I started following him. So I was like, oh, great, I'm going to bring him in. He's going to he's going to smack elements of my story in place because they're just going to be wrong. And mm -hmm. uh, and he didn't at all. He was like, no, the intuition's great. And mm -hmm. and so then he started just to add detail. Mm -hmm. So there are all kinds of details. So um, I don't want to give too many examples of those yet, but. There, let's just say with, if you guys should watch episode, everybody who's watching this interview who didn't watch episode one should go watch episode one. Can you leave it? I'll uh, link it, yeah. Great. Um, so there's a, for obvious reasons, people have always seen a connection with the moon and the sea, mm. right? Um, one, just easily enough, the, the sea reflects the moon and the stars, okay? Um, easy one. You know, when you get underneath the ocean, you start to find starfish. And if in modern times, when you go deep enough, you find stars under the ground. You find these bioluminescent creatures like in the oh, like yeah. um, to travel into space and to travel in under the sea. It's the same. It's the same endeavor. It's oh. um, you put on this suit, you pump in oxygen and you get in a ship. Yeah. And, right. And you and they look very like there's not a ton. I've of I've never thought of this. And but it's all yeah. correct. Between a deep sea diving suit and space. Yeah. So there is this, the limits of reality are very similar. Now, one, when you go up into the heavens, things get too thin, right? Mm. They get too spaced out and they get, uh, there's no density, but underneath. It's um, too, too much pressure, right? Underneath, there's too much pressure. There's too much stuff, too much weight, too much earth above you. So um, there is a connection. And so that connection is, is. Um, understood kind of naturally by people, even like, so the, the idea that the ocean, as it gets calm, like when the ocean, when, when the chaos is calm, you can see a clearer reflection of the heavens in it. Um, okay, we also talked about, I talked about with Jonathan, like the way, so one of the things is when you're making a movie like this, so we shot on green screen and mm. all of our backgrounds um, were kind of hand done after the fact. So it has this sort of like unreal quality to it, this kind of other worldly quality to it. And, mm -hmm. um, so what's funny about that is that like sometimes the main character might be as tall as a tree in Photoshop, right? But we understand once it's in the image that the tree's farther away. Yeah. Your brain will do this for you. You know, if your brain couldn't, we would just see a guy walking next to a tree that's the same height as him. Yeah. So um, there's a way you stage things in which to present them. And, well, when you get into filmmaking or you start doing something like that, you realize the universe is staged the same way. And I talked about this quickly with the moon. The moon is... Uh, 400 times smaller than the sun, mm -hmm, but the sun mm -hmm. happens to be 400 times farther away than the moon. What a quinkydink. Mm, yeah. Uh, I said quinkydink. I'm sorry. I apologize. No, that's okay. You just bleep that. I'll, um, for, I'll forgive you. I've been hanging out with kids. And so, uh, 
And so you have these two cosmic patterns. Like, okay, so you have these two shapes in the sky. One appears in day, mostly. I mean, although it can appear, the other one can appear in the day, too, which mm-hmm. is also part strange the about the feminine. always notice, oh, it's right. the moon and it's the day. Weird. Yeah. Right, when you can see it. and But, you know, at night, the moon is easiest to see. And that the moon also has a 29-day cycle, just like the mm-hmm. cycle of human women. Mm-hmm. And it has a veiling and an unveiling and a hidden quality and an explicit quality. And so there's no wonder that people personify these things as masculine and feminine patterns because they are. And mm. they're they're beyond the realm of just being coincidental for someone like me. So I'm someone who believes that the world began with a narrative, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and the material world rose to meet it and, mm-hmm. you know, and become, and become infused with that spirit, that body rose and it was infused with the spirit. So, um, so when I see these things, I see that this was there to teach me about things on every level. And I mean, Christianity really does the best job of, of of explaining these type of things. Now, people have lost it, but you know, it even describes like a marriage relationship. This is one way you can you can begin to understand on a micro level what's happening between Christ and His Church, mm-hmm. and it's a way you can understand on an even uh, larger level of how the heavens and the earth comes together. So, there's this fractal structure of the Bible when it says like Your kingdom come not on earth as it is in heaven, is the same as saying like let 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 the right idea be in your mind and let it be done in your body and your actions. Mm -hmm. So there's this, there's this way of seeing the world. That's just so correct because if you actually are hospitable to the idea, that things have been presented, the universe has been made as a presentation of things that are unseen. Mm -hmm. um, You can, man, I mean, you can start to see around corners eventually, like your predictive powers become unparalleled. Mm -hmm. You can, if you can actually see the way it's all coming together. So um, that's, so when you ask about like my hope for feminine storytelling, it's like now outside of my artistic endeavors, I have a hope for the world to not miss these things. I, I have a hope for um, both sides of both aspects of reality to come together properly to mm. unite beauty, like the, all these other opposites, you know, the mm. mountain being the, the union of the heavens and the earth, like at a point and what we gain when we climb the mountain, I want that. Uh, the whole world needs that. And, the whole world can't just become this thing that thinks it knows it all and thinks it reveals every secret and thinks it has every answer and drives the mystery and the muses from every corner. So Right, and uh, we need the mystery and we need the muses. We need some of the, the veil. We we need right. that because it's well, part the, of the structure of reality, like you were saying. Yeah, and if you work on music, you have to understand you're always on you're always veiling things because you're one your music can't do everything at the same time. So I can't play a fast song and a slow song at the same time, mm-hmm. and you recognize it as a fast song or a slow song. Like it's, it's it. You have to pick. You always have to choose one for the sake of the other, and that you also you have to build tension in a story mm-hmm. or in music. You have to build tension. And they have to relieve that tension, and mm-hmm. that's a veiling and unveiling process, right? right. So there's um. There are all these implied structures of music, and there's all these explicit structures of music, and they work together in harmony, and they have to hand off back and forth. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, the our world as people, it's made up of mothers and fathers and children, and we can't bash fathers, we can't discredit mothers, mm-hmm. and have a whole world anymore. Mm-hmm. So um, that's just part of storytelling, and so uh, capturing recapturing feminine symbolism in its proper place, I think is an essential and powerful way to tell a story. So just like in a world that won't tell a certain joke anymore, 
we all know what the funniest joke will be if someone's willing to say it. It's the thing that no one's willing to say. And so part of the I, part of the bonus for me as an artist, when I see a world that's becoming, or we see entertainment going down this propagandistic, um, you know, world where it's they're looking for political outcomes, they're ignoring certain cosmic patterns. Mm-hmm. It's like, thank God that I can see these because now you just gave me all of the opportunity to tell a story you haven't seen in a while, and hopefully this will be a, uh, a you know, a drop of cool water to someone who's just walked across a desert. Yes, yes. Oh, speaking of deserts, I'm I'm reading Dune. Anyway. Oh. Sorry. I haven't seen the movie yet still. It's really good. That oh. I mean, I have seen it and that's why I'm reading the book cuz I want to know what happens cuz the the movie only spans half of the book. So, anyway. Sorry. Sorry that totally ruined the, the you're like, "Oh, what a what a great ending." And then I'm like, "Also, I'm reading Dune, by the way." Yeah. Um the the world really is in desperate need of of recapturing uh you know what makes beauty fair to us like mm, the, the mm-hmm. beauty fair um so that that would be my my closing statement if i could take one on femininity in, well, in telling yeah no so so oh when is the next before i forget when is the next um episode uh due to drop yeah well the most reliable way because it's always subject to change um to find that out is to follow us on social media, Derpor Robbins, or to okay. follow YouTube because you'll get updates when the because we'll release it as a live event. So this episode is going to have a little more time in between. We're doing six weeks in between episodes, but this one has a little more because we have Christmas break in the middle of it. So I am aiming at, I think it's January 12th or the 19th. So aiming for the 12th, most likely will be the 19th. For episode uh, two? Episode two. Yeah. Now, episode two, we... Uh, we start to move into a more modern world. We get to see Oliver Graves, what happened to him as he grew up, and what does he do with this encounter? Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to people seeing this too because I think it really... Well, this is just in a in an outside of storytelling way. There's like... You start to get into more of the cosplay elements and the way, mm. um, you know, in, in the actual universe that this story takes place into. So I'm excited to introduce that to people and... Um, show them the seeds of what's coming next. So, mm, yeah, no, that's good. People, people don't know. We, uh, I, I make all the music for it. My wife sings uh, with me. Well, I was going to bring up that there will be an album, but not till the very end. Yeah, so we're releasing songs from each episode. The the whole album will come out when the film comes out. Okay. And so, but yeah, you'll get songs. So we have two songs out from episode one right now, and episode two will have two songs out, both lyrically sung and that's part of like you know and if people are hearing about it, don't get turned off by the idea it's a silent film it's a hybrid of this idea and we've I, I really try to take what i liked about silent films and preserve that and then mm-hmm. also figure out what was kind of boring about silent films in a modern context and solve yeah. those problems um so and it's also like i could see us doing a performance to the movie in the end because it will be yeah. our music start to finish so something like that but it it's it's a different dimension of uh, to the silent film we've added here. So I really encourage people to check it out. And, and um, you know, if you want to see different types of storytelling or at least non-politicized storytelling, like yeah. kind of a political vagrant. And I just, um, I'm not interested in, in any of the parties that are out there. So if you just want to break from that too, it's nice to, even if you don't understand what we're talking about, I think it's nice to participate in something that feels more like an old George McDonald fairy tale or, uh, yes, I was actually the whole time you were talking, I was thinking of that, his story, the, the day boy and the night girl. 
Yeah. Very it, direct. It, it's, it, the, it is the most direct day and night, boy and girl. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. Yeah. So it's thank very... you so much for chatting. This was really nice. I learned lots of things. Oh, I, I probably will rewatch this one. To... I was saying that earlier. That's what I love about your style of podcasting because there's the interviewer that just sets up someone um, to tell interesting stories and they have interesting uh, things they want to say too. But I really kind of prefer watching people who, like, I can, I'm a stand in for them, meaning that you're just, you're asking questions you want to know. And you become, like, for me as an audience member watching your things, you're asking the questions I want to know. So I love, I love that style of that, this uh, podcasting you do. So keep it up. Oh, thank you so much. Just, yeah, that's, the... Well, uh, maybe I'll have you on again just to oh, pick me up again. If you would subscribe, that would be the bee's knees.